everyone. So glad to have all of you who are joining us today. And uh, if you're here with us for the very first time, we are so glad to have you because we're in part three of a sermon series entitled Inconceivable because when Jesus made the declaration that you just watched in that bumper video just a moment ago, I I'm sure it seems so inconceivable that this Jewish teacher with this small group of followers could bring about any kind of positive change in the world. I mean, when Jesus says and made that declaration, I'm going to build my gathering, my congregation, my assembly, my movement, and it's going to happen in hatred and corruption and injustice and sin and the gates of Hades, death itself is not going to overcome it. Th those words must have felt so unbelievable, so inconceivable to those that were listening. But the reality is the inconceivable, it happened. In fact, we're here today as proof of it. But that was then, and this is now. So the question that we're answering in this series is, is it possible for the inconceivable to happen again? Because when you stop and think about it, our country is so divided about race and religion and politics. In fact, if you were to go out and you would ask people the question of what does it mean to be a Christian, you would get a lot of different answers, a whole lot of different answers but when you open up scripture, you find that Jesus actually answered the question for us. In fact, just hours before he goes to die on the cross, he pulled his closest disciples together and he told them this in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. He says, a new command, and it's new, not in terms of information, but application. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another by this, meaning by the same kind of love that I've had for you. If you have it for each other, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, what Jesus is saying is the way that you know if someone's a good Christian, a good Christ follower, a good disciple of Jesus is this. Do they love others the way that Jesus loved us? In fact, Jesus makes it very clear in this statement here that the distinguishing mark of a disciple is to love others as Christ loved us. So in week one of this conversation, we gave you a simple challenge to begin praying every day. This was the prayer. Jesus, show me how to love as you have loved me. And then last week, we gave you a question as a challenge to ask yourself in every situation that you encounter as a follower of Jesus, along with the prayer, begin to ask this question. What would love lead me to do? Now, when you stop and think about this question, this is a great question, but here's the thing. It's also a very frustrating question because here's the thing. The direction that this question leads you in, it's not usually the direction that you want to go. And if you spend any time this past week really applying or asking this question, you figure that out. Because the, this question will do, it's going to lead you to do things that go against your nature. And oftentimes, things that seem so radical or extreme. For example, when you've been hurt deeply by someone, you, you know love leads you to forgive but you just want to hold a grudge or you just want to get revenge. Or whenever you see a need where giving your money would make this big difference in somebody else's life, well, love, what it does, it leads you to give generously. The problem is, is that you and I would just rather give just enough to make ourselves feel good. 
or when you've hurt somebody, love, what it will do, it will lead you to swallow your pride and apologize. But about, what about all the times that you've been hurt and, and nobody apologized to you? It just doesn't seem fair, does it? Or even little things like when you're wrapped up in your little world, doing your little thing, and you see or you hear about something that makes you think, ah, I should stop and help them. You know that's what love would look like. But it's so hard to get ourselves out of ourselves to stop doing what we're doing and go serve somebody else. So in order to deal with this internal dilemma or this tension, what happens is most of us, we try justifying or rationalizing why we aren't doing what we know love would lead me to do. I mean, we, we've all been there, haven't we? You, you know what love would lead you to do, but you don't want to do it. So you do just enough to feel good about yourself. And then you just kind of draw this line for how far you're willing to love. And you go, okay, I'm justified in this. For example, you say to yourself, well, I'll give, but I'm going to give this much. Or I'll forgive this time, but enough is enough. Next time he does that, he's just going to have to pay the consequences of his own actions. See, we, we convince ourselves that as followers of Jesus, there is a line that we get to draw where we limit the amount of love that we show other people. But here's the problem with that. Jesus never drew lines. In fact, Jesus walked up to the line that others had drawn, and what Jesus did is he stepped over them, which means this. If we're going to love others as Jesus loved us, we're going to have to make some decisions that are uncomfortable, that sometimes might even cost us. And you got to understand, this is challenging for us, and Jesus knew it would be challenging. In fact, it took years and years for Jesus' own disciples to get this right of not drawing a line. But fortunately, those early followers, they wrote letters, many of which we still have today. And they help us so much to love others as Jesus has loved us. In fact, one of the disciples who maybe I think wrote the most about this was a guy by the name of John. We call him the Apostle John. Now, a, a couple of things that make John unique is this, is he was a very close friend of Jesus when Jesus was here on this earth. And he was sitting next to Jesus at the Last Supper when Jesus first gave this command that we've been introducing in this series in John 13. So you can't get a more authoritative eyewitness than that. The other thing that makes John unique is it's believed that he lived longer than any of other Jesus' other disciples. So he had more time than any of the rest of them to reflect on what Jesus taught and how Jesus lived. So here's what John writes near the end of his life to Christians of his day. Here's what he says in John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Now, John's just very clear. He says, hey, there's your standard to live up to. This is what love looks like to love one another as Jesus has loved you. Jesus laid down his life for us. So if you want to draw the line somewhere, 
on how much love you should show, he says, this is where you draw the line. You get to stop loving other people where Jesus stops loving them. So until Jesus stops forgiving, uh, until he quits giving of himself, until he refuses to lay down his rights to serve others, he's saying, you can't do that either. And when you stop and think about it that way, that doesn't leave us much wiggle, wiggle room, does it? See, it's one thing when other people are the standard for our love. And that's kind of what most of us as Christ followers have used for our standard. We, we make other people's our standard. Well, I love better them. You know, if I only have to love as much as my boss love, or if I only have to love as much as my neighbor loves or my ex whatever loves, then, then I can handle that because I can love better than them. But see, we don't get to draw the line based upon what other people do. As followers of Jesus, our standard is so much higher than that. We are to love others the way he loves us. And Jesus laid down his life for us. Now, here's the good news. Jesus' first disciples, they took this command seriously. In fact, most Bible scholars think that John is the only one of the original apostles that did not die a martyr's death. I mean, if you think about it, Peter, he got crucified upside down in Rome by Nero because of this message of love. Peter's brother, Andrew, got crucified in Greece the same, doing the same thing. King Herod, he beheaded James in Jerusalem. And Matthew was executed in Ethiopia. Even Thomas, you remember doubting Thomas, the one disciple that couldn't really believe that Jesus had come back to life? Well, he became so convinced Jesus was the way that he made it his life choice to share this message of love, and he chose to lose his life in India sharing the message. Now, the early church that John is writing to, they're facing that kind of persecution. And the difficulty because of the message, I mean, it's costing them dearly to love people as Jesus commanded them to love and to share this message of love. And so you can imagine, just think for a moment, being John, watching one close friend after another, after another, lose their life simply because they would not stop sharing this message of Jesus' incredible love. In fact, I'm thinking, you know, if anybody might would have decided, it's, maybe it's time to draw the line on how much Christians are required to love. Maybe it was John. Maybe he got to thinking, maybe we should have stopped asking this question, what would love lead me to do? Because it's getting the rest of us killed. Let's just go back to putting like four stickers on the back of our chariots because nobody gets massacred for that. But in spite of all the difficulty and all the pain, this man, John, when he's older, he's as committed to the message, he's as committed to living this, this love out as ever. And so because of that, John goes on to say, he says, and we, because of what Jesus did for us, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. In other words, in light of how much love you've received, in light of where Jesus has drawn the line for you, then what other option do you have but to do the same for the people around you? Bottom line is, there is no line when it comes to love. 
See, there, there's no point where, where the pain of forgiveness becomes so great that you can say, that's it, I'm never forgiving anymore. There's no point when giving becomes so hard that you say, no more, I'm never going to give anymore. There's no moment when love is so costly that you can quit. See, normal people, the, the average person who would call themselves a Christian, they, they have limits to their love. But what Jesus is saying, that's not an option for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. If there's no line when it comes to the love our leader shows, then there's no line when it comes to our love as well. Because I can promise you, it will cost you more to love someone or I should say it this way, it will never cost you, let me get that right, it will never cost you more to love someone than it costs Jesus to love you. Think about it. He went to the cross. He took the wrath of God on himself for you, for your sin. Now, I want you to pay attention to this because the Christians who first read John's advice, they took this to heart. They love not when it was convenient, but also when it was costly. And I'm going to tell you something. It made a tremendous impact on their culture. For example, nearly 100 years after John wrote this letter, there were some Christians living, or there was a Christian living in the Roman town of Carthage named Tertullian. And he wrote this about the way Christians of his day were living out this principle of loving like Jesus. In fact, Tertullian observed this. He says, it is our care of the helpless, not, not the people that could do something for them, but he says, it is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness, get this, that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, they say, Look how they love one another. Don't, don't miss this. Even our opponents, their enemies, even their enemies had to admit that Christians loved others with a special, a different kind of love. I just want you to stop and think about that. What, what are you known for? How are we as Christians branded in our culture today? What are Christians known for? Or, or what would your opponents say of you? Would they say, only look, look how he, look how she loves the people around you. Would you be recognized for your love or would you be recognized for your arguments and your political view? Would you even stand out at all? Now, it's almost as if John can kind of hear all of our questions and our doubts because in the middle of this tension of how great the standard of love is that we're to have for each other, it's like he pauses and says, okay, let me give you an example of a first step that you can take to begin to love like this if you make this commitment to love as a follower of Jesus Christ. So you got to start getting better loving Jesus somehow. So... How about we just kind of set the side, laying down your life, and let me just give you an example of where you can start to get to this level of love that Jesus calls us to. In fact, here's what he says. If anyone has material possessions, now, before you start justifying your way out of thinking, well, I just don't have that much and... That's not me. I don't have nearly as much as whoever you're comparing yourself to. Let me remind you that nobody that John was writing to had as many material possessions as the poorest person that's listening today. 
These were people that John is writing to who when they prayed, give us this day our daily bread, they meant it from the bottom of their heart. They didn't have food for tomorrow, many times even for that day. This was a one day at a time culture. So we all fall into this anyone with material possessions category. In fact, he goes on. He says, if anyone has material possession and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? So John basically is giving us love 101. This is entry level. So he says, when you see somebody in need and you have the ability to meet that need, what do you do? If you don't give, if you don't act, he says, how can the love of God be in you? How in the world can you claim to love people like Jesus loves when you won't even be generous with your money or your possessions? In other words, if you refuse to give when it's not convenient, if you refuse to give financially until it hurts and until you have to sacrifice, he's saying, then how do you think you'll ever forgive until it hurts or serve until it hurts or love until it hurts. And so John says, don't even start with, with that business of, I feel so bad for them, or I sure wish I could do more or help more. I just can't spare much right now. One day though, when I have more money, John says, don't even go there because those words are cheap. He says, if you want to love in such a way that everybody knows that you are a disciple, he says, here's what you do. He says, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and in truth. In other words, he says, I, I don't want to hear any more about how loving you are. He says, I want to see it. I want to see it in your checkbook, in the way that you give. I, I want to see it in your relationships, in the way that you serve. I want to see it in your conflicts, in the way that you forgive. I want to see it in your friendships and how you care about people who don't have a relationship with God. He's basically saying here, he says, stop drawing a line on how far you're willing to love. He says, Jesus laid down his life for you. Now you ought to lay down your life in some way for those people around you. And you go, well, that's kind of easy for Jesus to do because after all, he's the son of God. He, he was able to feel love for everyone all the time, but I'm just a human being. I, I don't feel love for everyone like that. And John goes, well, that doesn't matter. See, the beauty of what Jesus did and what John is telling us is that Jesus redefined love for us, not as a noun, but as a verb. See, think about it this way. Love is a noun is something that you feel. And if love is a noun, which is how most of us kind of think about it, then there's nothing more than a feeling or there's nothing more than emotion, which means that I am not obligated to act loving unless I have some kind of feeling or affection or emotion for that person or they've done something to kind of deserve my love or make my emotions turn toward them. This is why there's so many times that you and I, we justify unloving behavior by convincing ourselves, well, I can't love somebody I'm bitter toward 
Or I can't love someone that I'm angry at. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Love is not a noun. It's not a feeling. It's not some object that you either have a feeling for or don't have a feeling for. It's not something the really good Christ followers can show people, but the rest of us will never be capable of. He goes, no, 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 because love, love is not a noun. Love is a verb. Love is something that you do. It's an action. It's something that you can choose to do regardless of what feeling you may have or may not have. And and don't miss what I just said there. In any circumstance that you face in life, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the ability to choose to love like Jesus. The decision is entirely up to you. Think about it. When Jesus gave his life on the cross, it was not the result of some emotional moment of inspiration that may have hit him and go, oh, I'm just going to go do this because this feels so inspirational. No, no, no. Jesus made the decision to lay down his life deliberately. And John says, we have to lay down our lives for one another. And that is a deliberate decision. Now, here's the thing. Here we are a couple thousand years later, but the problem and the challenges are still the same. There there are still poor people who are being neglected. There are still orphans and widows in need of help. There are still relationships in your life in need of forgiveness. There are families in need of healing, people suffering, and in need of support. And most of all, there's still a world of people who have yet to discover that God loves them and that he sent his one and only son into this world. And that son, Jesus, laid down his life on a cross so they could have a relationship with their heavenly father. And and the only way they'll know that is if we choose to love them the way Jesus has loved us. So here's the challenge that we want to leave you with today. Follow the example of the early believers and love without limits. As followers of Jesus, you have been loved without limits by Jesus. Now go do this for others. Do it when it's convenient. But most of all, John is calling us to do it when it's costly, when it requires sacrifice. Do it when you feel like it, but do it when you know it's going to hurt and it's going to cost you a lot. Stop drawing a line in how far you go and only loving people like those normal people that you compare yourself to do. Listen, that will not change the world and it will draw not draw people to their heavenly father jesus says to follow him means we love sacrificially and we love supernaturally in fact that situation that's kind of come to your mind today is if we've been talking that's causing you to resist this loving others as jesus loved us and you know that there's, you've drawn this line there, that person that hurt you and you refuse to give for forgive them. Whatever's happened, your next step is pretty simple. It's time for you to lay down your rights and your wants. And it's time for you to live for the sake of somebody else. Do what love leads you to do and do that without limits because that's what Jesus has done for you. And that's what it means to put love into action. I'm telling you, 
It's where we who call ourselves Christians should start taking the command of Jesus seriously and start practicing the same kind of love in our families, in our churches, in our communities, and even toward our enemies. And I'm telling you, when we do that, that's when we will see the inconceivable happen again and the church will become salt and light and people begin to brand us. Even our opponents, even our enemies will say, oh, how they love one another. And that's when we as followers of Christ will change our world for the better. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible reminder from John. John, who watched you live and minister and die and rise again and then gave his life, giving out and living out this message of love. God, I pray that today we who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we will make the commitment to say, God, today I'm going to quit comparing myself to all those other people and how they love, but you're my standard. You're my standard. My behavior, my actions, they determine whether I really love or don't love. But today I commit to laying down my life, laying down my rights to live a life of love as Jesus has loved me. God, we, we need your help. We know this is sacrificial, but we also know it's supernatural, which is why we need to experience your love so your love can flow through us to others. Thank you for reminding us through John that the love, it's about action. It's, it's not a noun, it's a verb. And help us to live that out this week in every situation that we find ourselves. Help us remember to pray, God, how would you want me to love here? And then what would love lead me to do? Continue to help us to lean into that through this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks everyone for joining us. So glad to have you with us in this journey. Praying for you this week as you go out in your community and live in love like Jesus has called us. Hey, we'll see you next week.